Well, this morning I'm going to break away from the book of Acts uh, for one message I know. Some of you are in shock. It's okay. We're going to be okay. <clears throat> I want to, um, today I want to help you with fear. Um, the title of my message is uh, Get Your Fear Right. So look at your neighbor and tell him, you better get your fear right. Yeah. You can tell him, you too, Sha. <laughs> Question, what are you afraid of? Fear comes in many different ways. Last year, I was in a, 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 at a conference during a worship service, and, and the Holy Spirit started to deal with me about fear, and I was like, Lord, I, I thought I've dealt with fear. Like, I thought I was done with that. Like, I'm, I, like what am I afraid of? I'm, I don't think I'm afraid of too many things. Like, what, what am I afraid of? And he said, you're afraid of success. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you get afraid of success? And, and so I had, to, I had to meditate on it and I had to pray about it. And, and finally, the Lord showed me, he said, he said, you're afraid of success because you're afraid of what it's going to cost you. And I'm like, oh, didn't think about that. Fear comes in many ways, shapes, and forms, and we all, every single one of us, deals with fear at some time or another, and we deal with it at different degrees and in various ways. And so today I want to talk to you about two types of fear. One is the fear of God, and the other is the fear of amazement. You might want to write that down, the fear of God and the fear of amazement. And I want you to hear this right from the beginning. Jesus is our perfect example of what fear of God looks like. How many of you have ever wondered, what is this fear of God? Like, am I supposed to be terrified? Am I supposed to run from God? Am I supposed to be like on my face all the time? Can I ever look towards the heavens? Like, what, what does this fear of God look like? Jesus is our perfect example of how to fear God. So today I want to talk to you about that. The first thing I want to do is help you understand what fear of God is. Because it's important to understand because we got to get our fear right. Because bad things happen and no things happen when your fear is wrong. Fear of God. Fear of God is the reverent respect of God's authority that leads us to obedience. It doesn't lead you into a cave. It doesn't lead you to take off running. It leads you into obedience. It's a reverent respect of God's authority. Not my authority, not the government's authority, not any worldly authority, but God's authority alone. A healthy fear of God is to have reverent respect of his authority. And that reverent respect of his authority should be leading you to obedience. If you're wondering why you're not obeying God, it's because your fear's jacked up. You're more afraid of making a mistake than you are of honoring and reverent, reverently respecting God's authority. A couple of verses just to help you with some of the benefits of the fear of God. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27 says, Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Fear of the Lord. Which means this, that if you'll fear God properly, 
if you'll have reverent respect for his authority, it will give you life. It's a fountain of life. Not the fountain of youth, the fountain of life. It'll keep you from the snares of death. This healthy fear of God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Have you wondered lately why people are acting like they're acting? Why is America going to hell in a handbasket? Like, why are people doing all this jacked up stuff? Like, do they even think? No, they don't think. Why? Because they don't have any wisdom. Why do they don't have any wisdom? Because they don't have a fear of God. Psalms 25, 12 and 14 says, who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Did you hear that? The Lord is a friend to those who fear him, those who properly fear him. He is a friend. We got to get our fear right. You got to get your fear right. You see, what I'm understanding from these three scriptures here is that God really loves people who fear him. In fact, he gives them his best, everything they need to bring him glory. And those who have a healthy fear of God get invited into the secret places with God. He's not going to bring you if you're not going to go. <laughs> Yeah. God's not a beggar, and neither are we. God don't make beggars. He's not a beggar himself. We've been made in the image of God. He's not a beggar. We shouldn't be a beggar. God's not going to beg you to go do something. God's not going to beg you to follow him. He's going to offer it to you. And if you'll take it, you'll discover the secret things of God. You'll discover things you never saw before and felt before and experienced before. The invitation's always there. So when we lose our fear of God, we quickly go into lockdown. And my friends, let me tell you something today. We weren't made for lockdown. Come on. <laughs> That's fresh off the press. Like, I ain't made for lockdown. I'm good at the house for about an afternoon, but not, not for like two months. No, I ain't made for lockdown. While fear of God is pleasing to Jesus, fear of amazement is not pleasing to him at all. So just to review, make sure you got this. What is the fear of God? What does it mean to have fear of God? It means to have reverent respect of God's authority that leads you to obedience. His fear leads you somewhere. Remember that fountain of life? His fear, his fear, his, a healthy fear of God leads you to that place. Fear of amazement. What is fear of amazement? Fear of amazement is a fear of the awe and wonder of God. It's being afraid of the secret things that God wants to show us. 
A couple of examples for you would be God's presence. You won't step into God's presence. You won't, you won't reorganize your life and your schedule, and you won't reorganize and reprioritize things because you don't, you don't, you don't, you got something wrong with the presence of God. Like you're scared to go into the presence of God. I don't know why you're scared. You shouldn't be afraid. We were made to be with him, but for some reason there's a fear of God's presence. It shows up when you keep your life so busy that you don't have time for God. When you don't have time for his presence. It's a fear of God's presence. It's a fear of the spiritual world. So when you hear the scripture that says we're not fighting a flesh and blood battle, we're fighting a spiritual battle, you wig out because like I ain't in all that. But you should be because it's all around you. And you shouldn't be afraid of it because you've been equipped with everything you need to defeat the enemies in your life. Amen. It's not people. It's spirits. There is a real spiritual battle going on that we have to be aware of. You can't just take it for granted. Like you got to know that you're fighting a spiritual fight. The older I get, the more I'm realizing it's not about the person that's, that's making me mad. It's something about the spirit behind that person that's making me mad. Because in the past, I would go to the person and punch him in the nose and thought I felt better, but it didn't fix anything. Why? Because it was a spiritual problem that I tried to resolve with a physical action. You can't resolve spiritual problems with physical actions. It's, it's, it's being afraid of the gifts of the Spirit. <sighs> Every one of us has a gift of the Holy Spirit to use, to build up, to edify the body, to encourage one another, to teach and to train and to bring glory and honor. Every one of us has a gift of God. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But you won't even ask what yours is because you're afraid of it. Fear of amazement. I don't want to know what my gift is. Why? Because then I might have to use it. <laughs> well, what if I use it wrong? Okay, I would rather you use it wrong than not use it at all because God can correct wrong. He can't correct what you're not using. It's, it's a fear of walking into the things of God. This kind of fear will keep you stuck. Watch where it'll keep you stuck. It'll keep you stuck believing that God can do all kinds of things like heal, like speak, like deliver, and like save. He'll, he'll keep you, it, this kind of fear will keep you stuck in believing those things, but never knowing them and experiencing them. Oh, yeah, I believe oh, God can heal, God can, but you'll never know it, and you'll never experience it because you're stuck behind some kind of fear. That's lockdown. I'm telling you today, God sent me to tell us we got to get out of lockdown. We got to get our fear right. And the minute we get our fear right, things are going to begin to break and shake for us. Go with me to Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> Sometimes when I pray... In my quiet times in the morning, the Lord will give me a scripture to go to. 
about a month or so ago, the Lord gave me Matthew 17, 7. So I went and I was like, okay, this is great. Good job, Lord. Good word. All right, sounds good. Wrote down a few notes. It was a serious quiet time. I learned some stuff from it. But then the other day I sat down again. He said, Matthew 17, 7. I'm like, didn't we just do this? He's like, yeah, but you didn't get everything I wanted you to get. Oh. So when he, when he tells me to go somewhere twice, the second time I usually pay attention. Pray for me. I'm a little slow. All right? I'm just a little slow. I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, though my head is shiny. <clears throat> Matthew 17, 1 to 7. We're going to learn something today. Verse 1. Six days later. Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appear and began talking with Jesus. Peter Peter exclaimed, Lord, this, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud shadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. There's a couple of lessons I want to give you today that I learned from the transfiguration. This is known as the transfiguration of Jesus. It's when Jesus was transformed in front of other men's eyes. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. He was changed. He went from being natural to supernatural. The first lesson I learned from this was that Jesus invited them up. Jesus invited them up. Now listen to that carefully. Jesus invited them and he invited them up. Jesus is always trying to get you up. He's always inviting you up. Not begging you to come up, but inviting you up. Look at your neighbor and say, did you get that invitation? The first thing I noticed was that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up high on a mountain to be alone with them. That word take in, in the Greek means this. you got to understand this. That word take means to take to oneself. Like Jesus wasn't taking them to a mountain, he was taking them to himself. You got to get that. Jesus might be taking you places, but in the middle of those places, he's really taking you to him. Yeah. It uses the terminology of a man taking a wife. That's what the Greek says. It's like a man taking a wife. When Jesus took them up on the mountain, yeah, they were going up on a mountain, but they were going to get closer to him. He was taking them to himself. What does that mean? That means Jesus wants you with all your baggage, with all your issues and your tissues. <laughs> Jesus wants all of you. He wants to bring you to himself, not anybody else, but to himself. 
He knows you by name. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. They're numbered. You don't even know that number. I got a better chance than y'all do. It's the word take. Jesus took them. Jesus takes them up to himself. The invitation was to deeper intimacy than they had known before. Now, remember, these guys quit their jobs to hang out with Jesus. They dropped their nets and went after Jesus, right? Remember the story? This is even more than that. Jesus goes, oh, yeah, you made some sacrifices for me. You laid some stuff down for me. I like that. Come on with me. Remember what Psalm said, that a fear of the Lord, the Lord loves, he's a friend to those who fear him. How do you get friends when you get close to people? Which raises a couple of questions in my mind. Why didn't he take anybody else? Why just three? Theologians have many, of, many ideas. I personally have my own idea that I'll share with you. Why didn't he take anybody else? I don't know if anybody else wanted to go. I believe there was something about Peter, James, and John that they always wanted to be where Jesus was. There was a hunger and a thirst and a longing inside of them to be in the middle of the action. Come on, I got any middle of the action people? Like you like to be where the stuff's happening. Like you're not a stadium kind of person. You're like, I want to be on the field. I want to be where the action is. I want to get up in the middle of this thing. I want to feel it. I want to get a couple scars from it so I can tell some stories at the camp. I got any kind of I want to be on the field people. That's where the action is. I believe that that's what these guys did. The James and John, they even asked Jesus for special treatment when they got to heaven. They wanted to sit next to him. And the rest of the disciples were like, you got the audacity to ask. And I'm going, huh, that's pretty bold to ask. That means you really want to be where Jesus is. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Let me tell you what that verse doesn't say. If you look for me half-heartedly, <laughs> you'll find me. If you look for me half-heartedly, you, you will find me. It does not say that. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Oh, my goodness. It's time to stop being half-hearted people. If you want Jesus, go get him. You want to be in his presence, go get it. But go with everything you got. Everything you got means you got to put a bunch of stuff on the sack, on the altar. You got to put a bunch of stuff to the side. You got to kick some stuff to the curb. Your attitude, you got to go. Your reputation, got to go. What people think about you, got to go. Your status, got to go. You want to be with Jesus, you're going to have to leave some other people and some other things behind. So Jesus will take you to places and show you things you never thought possible if you look for him wholeheartedly. So lesson number one is Jesus invited them up, and the invitation is still here today for every one of us to come up. To come up. It's not by striving, it's just by following. 
just by following. Second lesson was that they saw Jesus in a different light. They saw Jesus in a different light, literally. <laughs> the Bible says that they watched. This is what I want you to get from this. When they went and followed Jesus up the mountain, they went with their eyes wide open. When your eyes are wide open, you're expecting to see something or you're trying to see something. You ever walk through the house at night without any lights on, trying not to kick something so you don't cuss and then have to repent? Come on, somebody. Anybody? Like what, what happens when you get out to bed at night? Your eyes go wide open. Why? Because you're trying to see. The Bible says that they watched as Jesus changed. They followed him up the mountain, and now they're seeing something they've never seen before. In fact, no other man has seen that. His face began to shine like the sun. His clothes became as white as the sun. You see, you'll never know what you'll see until you follow Jesus wholeheartedly. You'll never know <laughs> what you'll see until you follow Jesus wholeheartedly. I didn't say you'll never know what you see until you complete your degree. God's, last time I checked, God's not into degrees. He's into wholeheartedness. What's happening now is they're seeing Jesus in his, in his supernatural state, his, what the Bible calls his glorified state. So Jesus begins to change. They're wide open. Their eyes are wide open. They're watching Jesus transform in front of them. Put yourself there. Jesus is transforming, but it ain't done yet. All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah pop up. I'd have been done right there. I ain't going to lie to you. I'd have been like, nah, I'm out. I'm out. She said, Lord, I can't handle this. You picked the wrong person. Come up the mountain. I'm like, Moses and Elijah appear, and they see them talking to Jesus. This is significant, though. Because Moses represented the law and, my, and, and Elijah represented the prophets. So the law and the prophets were talking with Jesus. The, their presence with Jesus is an indication that the Old Testament was always looking forward to the New Testament. This is going to be important to some of you. The Old Testament is always pointing to the New Testament. And what the, what the three guys see right now is the old looking to the new. Something's changing. The old guard is looking to the new guard. The law and the prophets are, are pointing and looking towards Jesus. It's important. They saw Jesus in a different life, number, in a different light. Number three, they were excited. I don't have really difficult quiet times, y'all. Sorry, this is straight out of my notes. They were excited. I just kind of call it later. They were excited. Man, they was excited. They was glad to be there. Peter goes, it's wonderful. <laughs> they were having a great time. Moses and Elijah was there, which, which raises this question. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Did they have name tags? 
I mean, I can see Moses probably had his staff, but I mean, like, did they have, like, how did you know it's Moses and Elijah? Did you guess? I'm going to ask that question. It's on my list when I get to heaven. Like, how did you know, bro, that this was Moses and Elijah? Everything is wonderful. They're having a great time. Peter, like, it's wonderful. How many of you know there's no better place than to be with Jesus? There's no better place than to be than to be with Jesus. Come on. This is life-altering. These kinds of moments will change your life forever. Their minds are blown by this point. Peter responds by saying something I'm not sure he should have even said. I believe Peter was just nervous. You know any nervous people? Like they don't know how to act when the situation gets sensitive. Like something gets intense and they just, they just say something. You're like, what? Like, Shut up. Like, ugh. Like, you know, and you want, you want to pull them to the side. Like, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is just keep your mouth shut. I think Peter was just nervous. I mean, it was wonderful. He was glad to be there. And, and he wanted to help. And he just wanted to set up tents and. He wanted to do something natural, and God's like, right, this ain't a natural moment, buddy. You see, Jesus wants to show you some things that will put you into a state of amazement. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if any of you here today just kind of got um, complacent in your relationship with God, but it's, it's, you're not supposed to be complacent. Your relationship with God is not light. Okay. It's amazing. It's amazing. You follow Jesus, you will stay amazed. <laughs> Number four, God shows up and speaks. <laughs> I wrote this down because I just thought it was funny. You ever laugh during your quiet time? I laugh. I'm like, this is funny. I'm like, it's all fun and games till daddy shows up. I wrote that down. Like it's all fun and games till daddy shows up and my tightens up. I want you to see this. Not only was Jesus involved in this moment, but Moses and Elijah shows up, and then even God himself shows up. Question, do you think this was a big deal? Do you think the transfiguration of Jesus is important? You better believe it's important. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, God, Peter, James, and John. This is a big deal. God shows up and speaks. I want to just unpack this for a minute because there's, there's some things in this portion that I think are worth unpacking and kind of tearing them down a little bit. I want you to, the first thing I want you to notice is that it says God showed up in a bright cloud. Did you, did you catch that part? He showed up in a bright cloud. You need to pay attention to how the Bible says things. He showed up in a bright cloud. If you'll back up to the Old Testament when Moses was in the presence of God, there, it wasn't so bright. <laughs> When God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments, Moses asked God to be in his presence to see his face. God's like, you can't handle this, bro. You can't see my face. You're going to die. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass on by you <laughs> and let you see my presence so you can see my backside. Read the story. It's in Exodus. The cloud that God showed up in in Exodus had thunder 
and it had lightning. And it consumed the whole mountain. And when God spoke, people messed on themselves. It was instantaneous. Thunder and lightning. It was so big and so scary that when Moses came down, the people were like, no, 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 no. You talk to us. We don't want to hear from God. And I'm afraid that that's the condition of the church today. Pastor, preacher, you talk to God. We'll come sit down with you on Sunday, let you tell us what God says, but we don't want to talk to him ourselves. He's a little too scary. God shows up in Matthew in a bright cloud. No lightning, no thunder. It seems to me that God's intentions were not to scare them, but to be with them. Then he says some things that are very important. Three things God says when he shows up. This is my dearly loved son, whom brings me great joy. Listen to him. So my dearly loved son is a validation for who Jesus is. God is saying to Peter, James, and John, this is my son. This is my son. God's putting his mark on Jesus. God's validating Jesus in this moment. He's saying, this is my son. You see, God didn't want them to be so terrified that they couldn't hear what he said. In fact, God wasn't speaking to Jesus, Moses, or Elijah. He was speaking to Peter, James, and John. So God showed up to speak directly to Peter, James, and John who were with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah at the time already. Are you seeing this? Like, this is good stuff. Like, you must really be chewing on it. You look like you're chewing on it. This is my dearly loved son. Then he says, then he says this. He says, he brings me great joy. Watch what happens when, when God says that. When God says that Jesus brings me great joy, what should Peter, James, and John be hearing? That if you want to bring me your great joy too, you need to be like Jesus. You want to please me? Be like Jesus. You want to bring me great joy? Do what Jesus does. Do what he says. Go where he goes. When he invites you, take up the invitation and go. Show up. Be there. Do that. See that. Then he says this, finally, he says, listen to him. Listen to him. It's a command to listen. Not just to hear, but to do. Meaning do what he says to do. How many of you would be honest this morning and, and in your heart, I'm not going to get you to raise your hands, but you would say, I have a hard time doing what he tells me to do. Yeah, just resist. Don't raise your hand. I have a hard time doing what he says to do, whether it's in his written word or it's his spoken word. I have a hard time doing what he tells me to do. Last Sunday, I was on my way home, and I passed by a guy's house. I passed by there all the time, and he was outside. And I'm just passing by. I'm just, I'm, honestly, I'm just trying to go get something to eat. Brother hungry. 
my wife was cooking, I think. Yeah, she was cooking, and that's better than anything else you can buy. And I just, brother just wanted to go eat and get a nap. That's all I was looking for. Like, I'm done. Did my church, Lord. I done did my church. I done preached my preach. I'm going, give me something to eat. And I'm passing by this guy's house, and the Lord says, stop and talk to him. I was like, nah, it wasn't Jesus. That was, <laughs> that's just my stomach growling. So I kept on going. He said, so you're not going to stop? I want you to go back and tell that guy I love him. Then he, got, then he said, I want you to go back and tell him that those gifts and talents that he possessed to do all the great work that he's doing, just remind him that I gave that to him. I said, like, he's getting a little complicated now. So this is what I come to understand. If I don't do what he says, I don't get a good nap. <laughs> Can I just be honest? Like, I don't get a good nap. There ain't no peace. The Lord told me to confess something to my wife one time. I didn't want to do it. I went home. I didn't do it. I couldn't sleep. What's that? That's conviction. I turned my truck around. I said, okay. Pulled up in the guy's driveway. I walk over. I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm Jamie. He tells me his name. I said, man, you do some good work. He said, oh, thank you. And he kind of looks at me like, what you here for? I was like, well, I better get to it. I said, I said the Lord told me to stop. I said, he does this every now and then. He told me to stop. He told me to tell you that. You do great work. And those skills that you, do, that you use to do this great work, God wants you to know he gave that to you. He said, oh, well, thank you. He was cordial. I said, thank you. I was like, it's going good. I said, and then the other thing he wanted me to tell you is that he loves you. God wants you to know that he loves you. He said, okay. So we talked a little bit. And I'm like, well, I'm done. I think I did what God said to do. He didn't tell me to preach to him. Are you, are you following me? He didn't tell me to. He just told me to go tell the guy that. I'm done. Like I checked out. Punched my clock. I'm done. Did my part. Somebody else got to go do theirs. Is it not like that? Is it not like that? It's not my responsibility, just my responsibility to go and plant a seed, to go and give a word, to go and do whatever Jesus tells me to do. And when I do my part, that activates somebody else able to do their part. So every time I pass by his house now, I'm going, that dude's saved. That dude's saved. He's going to come to church. He might even give his testimony one day. Listen to him is God's command to the disciples. He's saying, this is my son. I'm well pleased with him. And then he says, listen to him. Hang on to that. Do what he says. James 1, to 24 says this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and then forget what you look like. Whoa! I wonder what happens when you do what the word says. I guess you remember what you look like. No, I'm serious. Like you remember who you are when you act in obedience. You remember that a calling on your life when you act in obedience, when you do what God's word says to do, it validates who you are. It keeps you reminding of who you are. Ah. 
Which means this, the only way to fully understand what you're hearing is to act on it. That's why education will never be enough. You need, we need to be students of God's word, but it will never be enough. You'll never get the full revelation until you act on it. It's like when you act on it, it gets activated in you. Because it's the doing that gets you the revelation of the hearing. Number five, they're struck with fear. It says they became terrified. It uses the word terrified. <laughs> and they fell face down on the ground. I'm not sure if they learned to respond like this from the prophets or from Moses, from reading the Old Testament. I don't know where they learned to respond this way, but either way, they responded in fear of God. You got to remember they were just watching Jesus transform. They were just watching Jesus talk with Moses and Elijah. They are currently seeing something that's never been seen before. No human's eyes have ever laid itself upon what, what, what Peter, James, and John is seeing. Nobody's ever seen this before. And then God shows up and they're struck with fear. Their eyes were open the whole time. They were standing the whole time. But I want you to notice that as soon as they respond this way, the whole thing ends. Did you catch that? The minute they respond in fear, terrified, face down on the ground, the whole thing ends. God quits speaking. Moses and Elijah leave. Jesus goes back to his natural state. Are you seeing it? When they look up, they don't see what they were seeing. Though a fear of God is pleasing to Christ, a fear of amazement is not. You got to understand this. They actually had more reason to rejoice than to fear. Think about it. They had more reason to rejoice than to fear. You should and we should not ever be afraid of the presence of God. We should handle it with a healthy fear of God, with reverence and respect. But we should never be afraid to enter into God's presence out of terrified fear or fear of amazement. We should never be afraid. They had more reason to rejoice than to fear, but they feared. Matthew Henry said this, through the infirmity of the flesh, we often frighten ourselves with that which should encourage ourselves. Through the infirmity of the flesh, we often frighten ourselves with that which should encourage ourselves. You want to know what's funny? You know what God told me about this whole message? He said, you better get your fear right. Because the church has flipped the fear. 
We don't have a healthy fear of God that leads to obedience. Instead, we have a healthy, we have an unhealthy fear of amazement that keeps us away from God completely. And that's why the, the church has been rendered useless for the most part in the, on the globe, is because we've we've flipped fear. We've allowed the enemy to flip fear, or we've flipped it ourselves, or for whatever reason, fear has been flipped in our minds. So we're, we're we're we don't have a fear of God that leads to obedience. We have a fear of amazement. We're in lockdown. My God in heaven, we should be the people when we walk out of here that folks get saved at Walmart, at the car wash. Come on, we walk with authority. We walk with all of heaven with us. We have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. If somebody takes you out, you get a promotion. Somebody talks about you, Jesus gets glorified. This kind of fear needs to be stood against, resisted, and pushed back upon. It doesn't just lie down in front of us. You hear that? It needs to be resisted, pushed back against. There needs to be something inside of us that says, I'm tired of living in fear. I'm tired of living with the wrong kind of fear. I'm tired of of being afraid to make a mistake. I'm tired of being afraid to get it wrong. I'm tired of being afraid to, to misrepresent God. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm done with this. I'm out. I'm checking out. I'm getting out. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. Most of our resistance is reminding ourselves how perfectly God loves us. Because how do we get into fear when we forget how much God loves us? Perfect love casts out all fear. I guarantee you probably 70 to 80% of us in this room have an unhealthy identity because we don't understand how much God loves us. When you don't know how much God loves you, you can't even turn around and love yourself. You'll walk in condemnation, you'll walk in guilt, you'll walk in shame, and you'll walk useless through this life because you've never realized how much God loves you. He loves you. He is for you and not against you. He's not mad at you. Let me show you what this looks like. Number six, they get comfort and instructions. So they fall on the ground, stricken with fear. The whole thing ends. God leaves. Moses leaves. Elijah leaves. But watch this. Jesus comes over. (laughs) So like like if, if Cheryl... And Anna and one other person right there were Peter, James, and John, flat on their face, afraid to death. I don't know how far Jesus was away from them. I don't know what his proximity was. But they were on the ground, full of fear, stricken and terrified. Jesus walks over to them. You got to get this today. Because some of you think that God's standing at some place that you got to go to. God's always coming to meet us. You remember the prodigal son? Where did God meet the prodigal son? At the end of the driveway. He didn't wait, him, wait on him to knock on the door and beg for forgiveness. He went out and met him. And God restored him. He didn't even have to ask to be restored. God restored him. God's the initiator. 
He's the one who's coming after you. He's the one who found you in the first place. Come on. He comes over to them. He shows great compassion. He's not mad. He approaches them in their state of fear. Watch this. Not to judge them. Not to condemn them. But to comfort them. And raise them up out of that fear. He comes over to help them out. Ah, the enemy lied to you. God loves you. He wants to help you out. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, he just wants to help. He just wants help. He just wants to help. He's not judging you. He's not condemning you. You're washed in the blood. He wants to help. <laughs> oh, he's not mad. Then the Bible says that he touched them. And I went, okay, why'd you put that in there? Like, why'd you have to tell me that Jesus touched him? It must be significant. You see, Jesus' touch would often bring healing. And this time it did also, but it also brought comfort and deliverance. Jesus walks over and he touched them. This is another sign of compassion. He walks over and he touches them. I saw a picture of Jesus getting down on the ground with them and putting his, he'll meet you where you're at. Did you hear that today? He will meet you where you're at. No matter where you end up, he will come and meet you there. He gets down low and he touches them. I just want to give you a little truth, a little something to set you free. The fact that Jesus touched them showed his compassion for them. Then Jesus spoke. I find it very interesting that Jesus cared before he spoke. Did y'all catch that? Jesus cared. He administered care before he spoke. But he did speak. And he said, get up. Get up. He's calling them out of that state of fear. He's saying to them, change your posture. Change your position. Come out of that and into this. Stand up against fear. Resist it. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Just get up. You don't belong there. Get up. Get up. He's calling them out of their state of fear. Telling them to change their posture and their position. Come out of that into this. Then he says these words. And here's where the lesson is. Don't be afraid. God told me to tell you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of making a mistake. Don't be afraid of his presence. Don't be afraid to get out of your comfortable spot. Don't be afraid to rattle, let God rattle your chains. Don't be afraid to change your schedule. Don't be afraid to adjust your life. Don't be afraid to reprioritize your life. Don't be afraid to get on your face before God in worship. 
but not in fear. Don't be afraid to tell somebody about Jesus, the hope that you have inside of you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to come to me when you're hurt. Don't be afraid to come to me when you need healing. Don't be afraid to come to me when you're, when you're distraught in your mind. Don't be afraid to come to me when your emotions are all jacked up. Don't be afraid to come to me when you don't know who you are. Don't be afraid to come to me. Don't be afraid of my presence. Don't be afraid of God. Don't be afraid like this. Don't be afraid. You're too loved to be afraid. This kind of fear is wrong. To turn your face away from God is not good. God's not trying to scare you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Don't be afraid. This is the first thing that Jesus says right after God says, listen to him. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Get up. (laughs) Don't be afraid. What if God's calling you out of something today? In fact, let me ask you this way. What is God calling you up out of today? What fear is hindering your life? What fear is holding you back? What fears, maybe multiples? Are you afraid of what it's going to cost you? Are you afraid of what people are going to say? Fear was an issue. You see, God delivered us from the hands of our enemies to set us free so that we could love and serve him, watch this, without fear. Luke says it this way, chapter 1. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. We can serve him in holiness and righteousness, watch this, for as long as we live. Not out of fear. (sighs) Quick review. Jesus invited them where? They saw Jesus in a different what? They were booah or, or excited. Excited. God shows up and speaks. They're struck with fear. And then they get comfort and instructions. Imagine this for a moment. I want you to close your eyes right now. Come Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine something for a minute. Close your eyes. Imagine that every time you walked into your house, your spouse and your kids would turn their face from you and cower to the ground before you. Every time you walked in, would be able to look you in the eye, afraid of you, afraid, afraid of what you might do to them, afraid of what you might say to them. 
How would that make you feel? We need to have a healthy fear of God. That is a reverent respect of God's authority that leads us to obedience. But we don't need to be terrified of God. You got to remember that he sent his one and only son just to restore you back to himself. God wants your respect. He wants your respect, but he doesn't want your fright. our lives in such a way that is reverent to him because we're his representation on the planet he's given us more ways out of our sin and out of our failures than you can shake a stick at he's told us how to get back up how to come back in and how to join the family again he told us that Jesus would forgive us our sins if we would them. And then he told us that he would even cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God's always, he set everything in place to bring us back to himself. We don't have to stay away and we don't have to stay afraid. He already knows where you've been. He already knows what you've done. He already knows what your fears are. He'll tell them to you if you'll ask him. you to hear this today, that God is very serious about fear. He's very serious about fear. He's, a very, he's very serious about a healthy fear of God, and he's also very serious of a terrified fright of God. One he loves, the other he despises.
He's not your earthly daddy. He's not your earthly mother. He's not the person that hurts you. He is God. He is full of love and he's perfect in all of his ways. And he wants to comfort you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to bring you up out of. God, would you come and move in us right now? Oh God, would you come move in us right now? Would you whisper in our ear? Would you pound in our hearts? Would you begin to speak to us? May we have ears to hear today. Your your whisper. Come and speak, Lord. Put your hand on us. Meet us where we are. how to live with a healthy fear of God. The kind that creates boldness and courage. It creates assurance. It's satisfying. It's fulfilling. And as we obey you, God, I pray that we would would get the revelation that comes from acting on what we've heard. Help us today. Nobody looking around this morning. Eyes closed, head bowed. I want to give you an opportunity because maybe there's some of you in this room that haven't given your life to Jesus, and that's where everything starts is with Jesus. And so if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. Raise your hand. If you want to make a decision to give your life to Jesus, I see one. Anybody else? This is your moment. This is your moment. Anybody else? die today, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I come to you today admitting that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need to be saved. I realize that I'm lost without you. I believe in my heart that what you did on the cross was more than enough to restore me, to save me, and to deliver me. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the grave and you're alive, sitting next to him at his right hand. And so today I want to make a confession. Jesus of my days. In Jesus' name.